Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Today, the Police Services Board will be holding a meeting to discuss whether to ask for an independent investigation into the police response at Pride. Doug Ford will no longer be taking your calls due to his phone being inundated with calls from what he calls special interest groups. And also, how do you reach out to those who don't vote? The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Later on this afternoon, Police Services Board meets at Hamilton City Hall. It's an open meeting. Uh, you know the background on what's going on here, of course, with the Pride Week celebrations and the uh, conflict that occurred at Gage Park, the demonstrations that happened in front of City Hall, uh, accusations flying that police didn't respond, that uh, police are, 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 are ambivalent towards the LGBTQ community. Uh, Fred Eisenberger, the mayor, has been t- targeted, really, a, a demonstration in front of his house a couple of weeks ago. So it's a very incendiary situation, and uh, I'm not sure what's going to happen later on this afternoon. I want to bring John Best into the conversation. John, of course, is the publisher of the Bay Observer. John, thank you for the time. Good to have you with us today. My pleasure, Bill. Where, where is this going, John? I mean, you've been following this, and, and we've been hearing the, the acrimonious statements, and, uh, you know, I'm not showing up, and, well, I'm trying to get together, and, no, you don't really mean that. You're not sincere. I mean, there's, there's a lot going on here. Yeah, there is. Um, I I uh, wrote an editorial about this um, a couple of weeks ago, and and my feeling is that uh, even though I I do believe that there should be uh, an independent inquiry, I'm not sure that an independent inquiry. I'm not sure people will believe the facts because there's been so much hysteria uh, and and just some some terrible stuff on social media. Uh, that I I doubt very much if uh, an independent inquiry at the end of the day will be believed, no matter what no matter what it, uh, the findings may be. And yet I think they need to go through the exercise of doing it. Uh, the interesting thing will be who's who will be acceptable, or will can you think of anybody uh, that can conduct this uh, inquiry that that would be acceptable to both sides? I I don't know. Well, that may be the biggest problem here, isn't it? Uh, you know, say because I'm not so sure. That there seems to be such a polarization on this issue right now that uh, I, I don't know that there's anybody that could say, "Yeah, we're comfortable with that individual doing this investigation." Because I'm sure the that as as one group would recommend somebody or a group of people, the other group are going to say, "Uh, uh-uh, no, 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 not going there. We're going to do this." Uh, so th- that may be the saw off today. Yeah, we we definitely do not have a shared set of facts, and you know that that normally spells trouble for um, an inquiry along this line. But you know, I'm 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 disturbed about uh, some of the stuff I've seen on social media. I I think uh, some of the extreme stuff I'm seeing uh, is is going to the, the the group that I think are missing in this piece are the the vast majority of people who are not members of the LGBTQ community, but who don't hate the people who are. Uh, there's a large number of people of goodwill, or, or at least who are not hostile out there. And when you see some of this extreme um, language on social media, I think it tends to drive those people away. And at the end of the day, if we're going to have a tolerant society, we, we need to have the majority of society on on side. So I, I think some effort should be made to, uh, you know, to, to tone things down a little bit and uh, let people of goodwill uh, be of goodwill. 
But if there are going to be public deputations at this meeting, and I'm told there are, a number of people have requested to, to be heard, and I assume the usual rules apply where they'll all get their five minutes to, uh, to address the, the board, uh, and I'm not sure if they're going to do Q&A on this or what. It depends, I guess, on, on the rules that they set up here. Uh, is, is that going to solve things, or is it just going to throw gasoline under the fire? It's just going to throw gasoline on the fire. Uh, you know, it's not going to solve anything. Uh, you know, it, but you know, let them let everyone have their say. Uh, I mean, nobody's going to get up and 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 make anti-gay comments at this stage of the game, even if they harbor such feelings. I doubt very much if anybody will have the nerve to go in there and do that. So, uh, you know, let the process unfold. Hopefully, the real piece of business that gets done is the. Uh, mechanism and the selection of some sort of an independent uh, investigator. Let that process unfold. Uh, God knows how long it'll take. I mean, we're sitting here now. It's, it's just about exactly one month since the incident. And uh, so far, nobody has uh, presented a clear chronology of what actually happened in Gage Park on the 15th of June. So, you know, if we could sort of get that sorted out, um, I would imagine there's video uh, that has been posted online that that may hopefully shed a bit of light on it, uh, but it's uh, I you know I'm I'm not optimistic that uh, wh- whatever is done is going to dampen down uh, the uh, polarization that we're seeing. We've had uh, two of the main characters involved in this, and I say that uh, revisedly. Uh, Chief Gert was on with his town hall earlier this week. Uh, Mayor Eisenberger yesterday. Mm-hmm. And, and the topic came up. We didn't spend a, a great deal of time on it, maybe more with the chief than we did with the mayor on, in the situation. Uh, and again, uh, an, a couple of quotes there that some people have re- responded to and are reacting to on social media over the last couple of days. Uh, one that the chief made on our program here, John, that I'm sure you heard, said, listen, the public has only heard one side of the story so far. Do you, do you agree with that assessment? Well, we certainly haven't heard anything from the police. Uh, I know there's there's people that are reveling in this so-called two sides trope that uh, I've been reading online. Uh, to my mind, there's three sides. Uh, at least if we're talking about what happened on the 15th, there was a large number of people who attended the event who appeared to be just there to have a good time, and then there were two groups that that had more violent intent. Uh, one was the uh, you know the the religious uh, fanatic group, uh, and the other were some of these uh, pink hooded people who clearly had come to the event with the if not the intention of of being violent, certainly being prepared to be violent if it if it erupted. Um, so I I hear all that, but uh, to my mind, um, let's let's see what kind of an investigation can unfold. I'm I'm not optimistic, and yet I think the process has to has to follow through and be done. Who do you reach out to in a situation like that? I mean, you know, there's an integrity commissioner. I don't think that's a, a viable option. Uh, no. uh, you know, to, to to talk about the Red Hill controversy from a couple of months ago, they, they've asked uh, the Ontario uh, government to appoint a judge to that, and that's going to take place. I, I, I don't even know which way you go here, because I, we go back to our point from a couple of minutes ago about the, 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 the very different approaches some people are taking here and some of the demands uh, that are being, or requests maybe, I should maybe, you know, make it a little easier for people to kind of grasp, uh, that I don't know are, are attainable. I mean, I saw one on social media the other day. There's another letter from a, a group uh, demanding the resignation of Mayor Eisenberger and Chief Gert. Well, you know that's not going to happen. I mean, you know, I, I understand the anger and the frustration, but, I mean, let's let's be realistic about this. 
Well, uh, there, there's just a lot of stuff on, on social media right now that is just dead wrong. I mean, if they're prepared to say Fred Eisenberger is homophobic, let them say it. He denounced the violence the day after the event, and then there was a flurry of comments, well, he should have been at the event. Well, okay, fair enough. But uh, I, I don't think, uh, you know, there's a, a whole bunch of issues that I would disagree with Fred Eisenberger about, and we've talked about them in the past, but yep. this is just crazy. Um, you know, a pink alert, I saw that online, a pink alert uh, saying that, that he won't, you know, implying that he's been silent on the issue. He hasn't been silent on the issue. He's, he's denounced the violence about four or five times, and, and he's, uh, uh, you know, he's, he, I think he's, he's spoken out uh, against the violence. Uh, and then I saw a thing uh, of Fred Eisenberger with the big letters hate summit on it. Well, what are we saying? I mean, you know, are we saying that Fred Eisenberger is uh, organizing a summit that promotes hate? Is is that what we're inclined to believe? And then I saw another one that showed six counselors who apparently didn't uh, speak out um, on the uh, at the council meeting uh, against the violence and uh, this ominous thing. Know them by their silence. Well, are we saying that those six counselors are homophobic? Uh, you know, to me. Maybe they were just embarrassed at all this virtue signaling that's been going on and, and chose to keep their, their counsel because it's just getting too crazy and you don't want to be associated with some of these nuts. Well, John, I've tried to, to present as many sides as we could on this. As I say, we've had the, the chief on a couple of times now. Uh, the mayor has, has been on here and, and, and expressed his views. Uh, last Friday, Deirdre Pike, who's uh, been asked by the mayor to actually try to facilitate some of this stuff, was on. Uh, she's very frustrated at this stage because she's getting it from both sides. And uh, I, I, I'm looking for somebody to say, okay, you know what, we can agree that we'll listen to that individual and maybe that can be the arbiter in a situation like that. But we're not there yet. I, I, I agree. I think at the end of the day, the police service board at the end of this meeting is probably going to say, yeah, we'll, we'll agree to this investigation because both the mayor and the chief seem to think it's a good idea. Uh, I've talked to some other members on council about this, and they seem to think that's the way to go. Uh, but you're right. I mean, there's an old cliche here. Watch what you wish for, uh, because if they do that, uh, one side's going to be very upset, I'm sure, by, by the results of that investigation. Well, it's hard to say. I mean, when violence breaks out, you know, who threw the first punch, that's going to be very difficult to uh, determine when, when you're dealing in a, an event where there are hundreds of people and uh, in a very big area. Remember, that's a 65-acre park, and uh, apparently the, the the bulk of the violence took place in a somewhat confined area of the park towards the west side i believe um, so you're looking at a at a you know a really a very large uh, place and people will see things and what they see might be totally accurate but it maybe doesn't uh, convey the whole picture it's going to be a challenging job i think at the end of the day the the, the only thing that would even be moderately acceptable as a, an adjudicator would probably be a retired justice, uh, someone along those lines. Um, I can't think of anybody else that, uh, that wouldn't, uh, you know, and again, I, I don't know that that's going to satisfy everybody, but, you know, we have to start somewhere. I think there has to be um, some uh, attempt to clarify you know, everybody's got an opinion on this thing, and most of the people that are expressing opinions, with with the exception of those that were at the event, weren't at the event. So they're responding to responses, basically, and it, it's uh, it's very unhealthy 
Uh, on the other hand, it's no different than what we're seeing south of the border. Uh, this is what's happened now. We don't talk to each other anymore. There, you, you don't have these uh, Tip O'Neill, Everett Dirksen kind of where the two guys uh, on opposite sides of the fence go and have a scotch and come up with something. That's all gone now. It's just hate. And, and uh, you know, you, you can't be calling yourself hashtag and hate when you're posting misleading and, and outright false uh, tropes about the mayor and, and people like that. I, I mean, you know, it's just silly. Well, and how do you sift through that? Uh, yeah, I mean, people are going to be offended no matter what. I, you know, you've just called out a couple of situations that have been on social media and say those these are just totally false. Uh, that's going to rankle somebody. You know that's happening right now. Uh, I, I'm looking for looking some... Looking forward to it. Well, probably, yeah. And, you know, I, I, I get the email responses and the text as soon as, and the tweets as soon as we do one of these sessions. Uh, that, that that if they're feeling, you know, that, listen, everybody's letting us down here, I don't know that they're going to hear anything that's going to assuage that concern that they've got right now. And, and, and you know, I, I know that the mayor has said, look, we got to try to find a way to get together and move on. Uh, Deirdre Pikes has said the same thing. Uh, the chief has said the same thing. But, uh, but there's so much acrimony here right now that uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't see that, that way clear. That I'm looking for the light at the end of the tunnel, and I don't think it's there yet. No, I mean, if we're going to build a tolerant society um, and, and improve tolerance in our society, we need to have people of goodwill uh, prepared to set aside differences, at least for the meeting, long enough to get through the meeting. And I, I don't see that. And I, what I see is just a, a lot of showy, um, extreme language, and I don't think it's a bit helpful. If you really want to solve the problem, start working towards something much more boring than, than being plastered all over social media, um, something quite boring, which is quiet discussion. And, and, you know, we've got a lot of people who have appointed themselves leaders in this area that who, are, who have no more business leading this than uh, the next person. I mean, I'd be quite prepared to listen to people like Deirdre Pike, who, who have been on this uh, issue of, of tolerance and inclusiveness for God knows how many years, rather than people that are sort of popping up at the last minute. Um, I, I really respect the fact that she's taken on this job. She's smart enough to know that it's a no-win situation. And, uh, I, you know, I, I'll follow her lead uh, at this point. Well, you know, listen, I understand that there's some accusations and some assertions that have been made. Uh, hopefully those things will either be validated or negated in the course of this investigation. But we've got to cut through some of the rhetoric. You know, the, like I said, the idea, the call for the, the chief and the mayor to resign. I mean, come on, let's, let's be realistic about this. And, and some of the other stuff that we've seen here, and some of the accusations, quite frankly, about people like Deirdre and Cam Galindo, who's come forward, of course, uh, you know, the, the only openly gay elected official we have here right now. Uh, and the accusation I've seen on social media is that if you went to that meeting with the mayor, that means you're against the LGBTQ community. No, come on. Let's, we, we've got to start being a little more sensible about this. Well, if we want to solve the problem. On the other hand, if all we're really trying to do is draw attention to ourselves, then carry on. Well, we'll be there. We'll be watching uh, CHML News. We'll be at that meeting later on, and I'm sure we'll be reporting about this and talking about it again tomorrow. John, thanks as always. Great talking with you today. My pleasure, Bill. John Best, uh, the publisher of the Bay Observer. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Well, Doug Ford will no longer be taking your call. Uh, he has canceled his uh, cell phone. 
I, I guess your call is not important to him after all. Anyway, uh, of course, he pro- promoted this song for the longest time, ever since uh, he took office about a year or so ago. Look, at, if you've got any problems, here's my cell number. Just call me anytime with any concerns. And that's the, the populist, I guess, in him. Uh, but if you're going to make that sort of a call, you better be willing to and able to handle some of the stuff you're going to get. And I guess that just uh, was not in the cards for the premier. Uh, they have blamed the uh, overwhelming number of negative phone calls from that on that cell phone uh, at what he calls special interest groups. Now, you may remember, of course, when uh, they didn't like the results of the uh, the sex education uh, phone survey that they did, they blamed special interest groups, too. So there's a common theme here. Uh, but anyway, let's uh, bring Christo Avilas into the conversation, Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council postdoctoral fellow in history at uh, the University of Toronto. Christo, great to have you on the show again. Thanks for the time today. Thanks for having me. It was, was it inevitable that this was going to happen, that the, 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 this, this tsunami of negativity was, was just going to overwhelm the premier? You know, I think so, actually. Strange as it is, as it is, I have a YouTube channel, and I made a video about this very topic where I talked about why this happened. And, and my view is that, that Doug Ford, when he did this, one, he thought it would be good politics, that, you know, it makes him look transparent, it makes him look accessible to the people. But I honestly thought Doug Ford thought he was going to be popular, that he was going to get a lot of great phone calls, and that it was going to, in a sense, legitimize what he was doing. And he was going to be able to say, well, look, the downtown Toronto elites and the, uh, the, the, the elite media and the, the unions and the quote-unquote special interest groups are, are against me, but the regular people will call me at, you know, 7 at night and they'll say, Doug, you're doing a great job. And I don't think he got the response he was expecting. And I think, frankly, that's probably why he canceled it. I don't really know if this was driven by special interest groups as much as it was driven by Ontarians, both those who, who never voted for Ford, but maybe those who did. Of expressing disappointment and disillusionment with the government one year in. There is nothing worse than a voter scorn, is there, Christo? I mean, you know, if, if you, and I think there's a lot of people that were in this situation, uh, were so disenchanted with Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals that you said, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going the other way. I don't know much about this guy, but it's got to be better than what we've got. Now here we are a year later, and you, you've got voter remorse. And you, you, you bet you're going to get on the phone and say, what do you think you're doing with the cuts to, to autism and to this and to that and to that? I'm sure he got an earful from those people. Yeah, no, certainly. And, I mean, there's, there's one, there's one thing, it's one thing to you know, have a government that makes a promise and then keeps the promise, and then people never understood the consequences of that. Like the government could say, look, we're going to cut taxes and we're going to cut public services. Let's say that you know, Tim Hudak ran in a very clear you know, uh, transparent platform. And then people are mad because they got what they voted for, but it wasn't what they expected. With Doug Ford, at least in some cases, it's, you know, Doug Ford didn't promise the things he's doing, and in some cases promised not to do them. So, for instance, if you're a, uh, you know, if you're a, a, a teacher, or if you're a person who requires good, you know, you're, you're a parent of a student, or what have you, or you're a student yourself, and now your, your courses are being cut, your class sizes are growing, that wasn't what Doug Ford promised. I mean, maybe he made an explicit promise to not cut one single, you know, frontline job, and that we know that in, in many districts they're losing hundreds of teachers. Um, the reality is, is people would call and they'd be quite angry, and I think reasonably so. And I think that, that that's a sort of, sort of betrayal. There was, you know, also people. There was a you know a news report a couple of months ago, you know, when the basic income pilot was being, um, you know, uh, canceled, where there was a Ford voter who said that, you know, Doug Ford promised to at least let the pilot run its course, and now he's, uh, his government's cutting it early, and I feel really betrayed. And I think those are the sorts of people 
probably made phone calls to his phone, and those were probably not pleasant phone calls to field. Uh, and, and therein lies the problem, of course. You know that once you ask for public opinion, you better be ready to accept public opinion. Hey, I got to ask you on that point, though, Christo. Is he living in a bubble? I mean, some politicians are like that. You know, they they surround themselves with people who say, "Hey, you're great. You're doing a fabulous job." Uh, they seem to only listen to people that say that. And and clearly, I, I'm trying to connect the dots here uh, with these negative phone calls. And I'm looking at the, at the popularity polls. I mean, the conservatives are down in the low 20s when it comes to approval ratings. Ford's personal approval rating is even lower than that. So, I mean, it would be inevitable, wouldn't it, that if people are going to... Obviously, a lot of people have ter- changed their minds about this government since Election Day last year, and, and they're going to make him know... They're going to make him feel exactly the way that they feel about this. And so there was going to be some feedback and some negative feedback, I would think. Yeah, no, certainly. I mean, well, Doug Ford was... You know, the nature of our first-past-the-post system means that, you know, you can win a majority government with, you know, 40% or less. So, you know, Doug Ford going in didn't have the support of a majority of Ontarians. So he was already sort of, you know, like most governments in Canada, you, you never really have a support of a majority in a province like Ontario where you have three real, uh, you know, three uh, credible parties and maybe even the Greens now uh, growing as well. Um, so he was always on the back foot in that sense. But, but you're right in noting that he's very unpopular. Um, and then there was that recent poll that was talked about in the Toronto Star that said two-thirds of Ontarians don't think Doug Ford cares about them or people like them. And that's not a very good sign for a guy who wants to be seen as a man of the, you know, of the people, quote-unquote. I don't know if he lives in a bubble so much. Uh, you, know, he, you know, ironic as it is, Doug Ford is, 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 a, is a downtown Toronto elite. Uh, he's, you know, he's, he's at Queen's Park a lot. Uh, he, he's surrounded by his staff there. Uh, he probably consumes you know, media, but if that media is, uh, is the sun, he probably gets a more uh, credible portrayal than he does in, uh, or a more or favorable portrayal than he does in, say, the star or in a lot of, you know, uh, you know, centrist media. And, and the reality is that I, 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 I think he thought he was going to be able to be popular because people would like what he was doing, that, you know, he was going to cut the fat and people were going to realize that the cuts he were making was it was a good thing, and that the PCs sort of thought they could have it both ways, where they could, you know, not actually be truthful with the voters. Because here's what I, I I know happened. This is this is my belief. They saw what Tim Udak did, and they knew that the solution to winning the election was to not tell the voters what they were going to do. You know, because you know Andrea Horwath had a fully transparent platform. Kathleen Wynne had four years of a record to run on. Whether you liked it or not, she had that record. Doug Ford literally had a smattering of promises here and there, and some of them were kept, and some of them weren't. And I think that they thought that the voters just needed to have it done to them, and then they would be happy. And then Doug Ford is shocked, I think, that they're not happy, and that's why the phone line got canceled, because he probably was getting bombarded. And I don't think by special interest groups um, so much as, you know, just regular people with, you know, interests in their day-to-day lives. Yeah, I, I don't buy that special interest stuff. I mean, that's that's a, a, a t- typical tactic these days, isn't it, Crystal, to try to demonize uh, people that are in opposition to you, whether it's the public or another political party or another politician, whatever the case might be. Uh, and and it's worked to to some degree in the past, but I I don't I don't think it's working this time. Uh, anytime there's anybody opposed to him, he says it's special interest groups. It's the elitist, and and the 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 paradox there, as you've just described. Is is the very people that Doug Ford calls elitists are, are a pretty apt description of what Doug Ford is, uh, and, uh, and he's, yet he tries to put himself out there as a populist, and I'm not so sure that a lot of people are buying that now. 
No, I mean, it's very interesting if you think about it in some ways. Justin Trudeau supporters don't like Doug Ford. Doug Ford supporters don't like Justin Trudeau. But they're both men who, um, you know, uh, are, are, are where they are, at least in part because of, you know, the great privilege they have through their fathers and through their families and the wealth, but also the political connections. And so that's the mark of an elite. Doug Ford is not a self-made man. You know, Doug Ford maybe comes from Etobicoke, but he has long roots in big city Toronto politics. And, you know, Doug Ford says that he's for the people, but, you know, the, uh, so much of the political funding that, 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 that went to Ontario Proud and a lot of the groups that helped Doug Ford were driven by elite developer money and not necessarily from, you know, parents with children with autism. And so, you know, Doug Ford in that sense, I think, is trying to say, well, this is the special interest, a.k.a. the unions or the environmentalist groups or, or the, you know, the LGBTQ, you know, groups. But he says, at the end of the day, I don't think that's true. Those groups, if they were really bombarding his personal cell phone line, the line would have been canceled months ago because those groups would have been able to funnel thousands of calls. I do think that groups like that, and whether they're special interest groups on the quote-unquote left, right, or center, um, they, they do have phone-in campaigns, but they're almost always launched at, you know, the formal lines, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, send an email to your local MPP or send a call to your local MPP, or we're going to protest the local MPP or the premier's office or what have you, and there's been a lot of that. But to my knowledge, I don't think I've seen any real coordinated effort to attack Doug Ford's personal cell phone. I do think that it's a lot of people who are, who are just a little disenchanted with him, um, you know, right now on an individual basis. And, and they've chosen to make that call, and, and, and Doug Ford wasn't happy with the results he was getting. And, I mean, Ontario's a big province. I mean, if you were PEI, maybe you could give out your personal cell phone number and get a moderate amount of calls you know, as premier, because it's, you know, it's the size of PEI is the population of a, a small Ontario city. But the reality is that you know, Ontario's got millions and millions of people. And, I mean, I think this is a bad idea in general, but I think for Ford, it certainly isn't working out. Well, because, as I say, the the politicians that try to portray themselves as this always try to say, okay, anybody else is, you know, they're the, they're the bad guys, they're the evil guys. Uh, and you try to demonize this. I mean, you know, the Harris government, uh, you know, shone the light on, on social service recipients, welfare recipients, and said that, you know, the more that, you know, he said, what, it was it 40% of them were cheats or something like this? And, and there's no number to validate that. But uh, And then he said doctors were elitist, you know, because they made way too much money, and nurses and, and teachers, and it went on and on. And uh, I guess his supporters bought into that. I don't know, except for those hardcore Ford supporters uh, are buying into this. I don't think the public is anymore. I think they understand that. Look at the, you know, when we find teachers getting laid off like this after he stood up there more than once and said, nobody will lose their job because of this. And now they're losing their jobs. Of course, people are going to become disenchanted. No, no, certainly. And I mean, again, you say with Harris, you know, even Harris, you know, he won some very commanding majorities, but even in. Harris's days, you know, he really never had a majority of support in the province because, you know, the Liberals and the NDP, even though they were weaker at that time because Harris won very commanding results, they still had, you know, uh, more, more, you know, a plurality of votes between them. Um, but Harris, again, was, was at least partially clear on what he was going to do. Maybe uh, people didn't know the full consequences of his actions, but he was more transparent in, like, the run-up to elections. I think with Ford, I think what this really comes down to is that you know, we can all have a hearty chuckle that, you know, Ford had to cancel a cell phone number because too many people were calling him and complaining. And I think that's, you know, that's fine. 
But I think it's actually something quite instructive because if Ford honestly believed this was, you know, a, a, a tool to make the government and make the premier more accessible and transparent, then by him canceling the line, effectively what he's doing is he's cutting off that, that accessibility and that transparency. And so Doug Ford can't have it both ways. If he was touting this line as a way to be with the people and be there for the people and that, you know, if you need legal aid, I'm cutting legal aid, but if you need a lawyer, you can call me and I'll get you your legal aid. If you remember that, that line yeah, he said, I do, yeah. you're not only calling people just for your opinion, but specifically call me for public services. You know, when you do that and then you back out, that's a big thing. This is not like Doug Ford's cell phone number was leaked on the internet and people were harassing him. That's, that's a totally different thing. Doug Ford made his personal cell phone number an, a, a political brand and then he's reneged on it. And I think that's why he's getting a lot of heat, and I think deservedly so. And, and listen, I don't doubt that, that some of those messages and some of those things that he received on his phone were probably vitriolic and, and maybe even personal. I, and that's unfortunate. Uh, and if he's victimized by that, well, you know, that's there's a long line of politicians. Everybody at every level of government seems to, to get that kind of treatment right now from a certain segment that do things like that on social media. And if they had that availability, they'll get that. And I, I understand that. Uh, but by the same token, you can't just say, well, that means they're all, you know, they, they've got an agenda necessarily. I mean, if, if if one of those phone calls was, for instance, from a teacher that just lost their job, that's not a special interest group. That's somebody whose personal interest is, the, is about their career. Or if you have a family that all of a sudden found out that their autism funding has been cut and they don't know what they're going to do, they may have to take a second mortgage out on their house to be able to pay for the treatment. Uh, yeah, that's not special interests. I mean, let's, let's, let's be clear about exactly what's going on. There are a lot of upset people in this province right now. No, no, certainly, and I agree. Then this is, I guess, a standard tactic um, for Ford, which is that, you know, there are certain groups that are special interests, and those are the groups that are generally in opposition to him. But, you know, say a business that wants a, a tax cut or that, you know, companies complaining about quote-unquote red tape, those aren't special interests. Those are the general interests of the people. So part of this is ideological framing, you know. And, I mean, you can even add in students who are, whose OSAP is affected and may not be able to go back to school, you know, in the fall or start school in the fall, you know, at college or university because of uh, the, the government changes. And, and, I, and, I mean, I agree. I think when you're talking about these phone lines, I, 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 I want to stress that if anybody was, you know, calling Doug Ford and threatening him or calling him or his family names or in a kind of hateful way, that that's, that's not appropriate. But I think this is much like Twitter, and, and I'm of the view that, you know, politicians on social media, um, you know, shouldn't be able to block people um, because they need to be able to have, uh, people need to be able to have access. You can mute people, but you can't block people. And Doug Ford, in a sense, made his phone into a sort of hybrid form of social media by basically telling the public, telling businessmen and telling regular people, be like, you can call me for support or advice or complaints or what have you. He made that into it, and I, and I do feel that when he did that, um, he sort of opened himself up to legitimate critique. And while he, if he is, was getting harassing or threatening complaints, I think he should have dealt with that through you know, police and, and things like that and blocked specific phone numbers. But uh, in my view, if you're going to commit to making your phone number public in transparency, I think you have to keep it public. Well, and I, in my commentary this morning, I used the, the analogy, Krista, I said Ford should actually look at this, as you say, 
uh, from an, a constructive point of view. And this, I said, these negative phone calls are the canary in the gold mine for Ford. He should, it, it, or the because he's he's got these low approval ratings, and now all of a sudden, all these negative phone calls. That should be a wake up call to say, hey, listen, you know what? Maybe we need to rethink some of the things we're doing. And and I don't know that necessarily going to do that. But you know, politicians that ignore the the mood of the public uh, do so at their own peril. No, I think that's a great point, and I think in some ways. You know, maybe Doug Ford sees the polls because, you know, governments and political parties, they do polling uh, in, in, in excess of what we see as the public, like, uh, you know, it's covered in the media. And so I'm sure that there's been polling done that probably confirms that what we're thinking, which is that the PCs have lost a lot of support, that Ontario is maybe a three-way race right now where any of the three main parties could win, and that, you know, whereas Andrew Horlath remains quite popular, uh, Doug Ford is extremely unpopular, and none of these things look good for the PCs going into 2022. And there's a lot of PC MPPs who won their ridings by relatively small margins that are concerned uh, going into the next election that they'll lose their seat to either Liberals or the NDP. And so I think that these phone calls in some ways are, are, more, are a more visceral form of polling, uh, biased as they are, that, that, that something needed to be changed. And this is why I think it's another reason why it's concerning the numbers were canceled, because maybe it's Doug Ford saying, you know, I had the opportunity to listen to people, to hear from people, to talk to people who have real disagreements and concerns about my policy path, and I just don't want to hear it. And maybe that's a sign that Doug Ford doesn't want to hear these things, and maybe that's an, indict- an indictment of our system of government, because in a majority government, you know, in effect, he's been given four or five years of, of, of power that's very, very difficult to, to challenge in any way, with only 40% of the problems backing him. And so maybe Doug Ford saying cynically, look, I'm down right now, but I just got to get back to 35, 36%, and I'll be premier again for another three, four years, and then I, I don't really need to care about two-thirds of the province. And, I mean, that's the nature of our system, and maybe Doug Ford feels it's not worth listening to Ontarians uh, if, you know, all he needs to do is to get that one-third of the population to vote for him. Uh, we'll see how this rolls out over the, uh, the weeks ahead. Uh, Christo, thanks as always. Always a pleasure having you on the program. Thanks for having me. Christo Avel is, of course, from uh, University of Toronto. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. We do have a federal election coming up in October, uh, and we do need to be concerned about the number of people who do not vote in this country every year. Uh, So how do you reach out to them? How do you convince them? How do you inform them about what's going on? Well, the Hamilton Center for Civic Inclusion uh, has an idea that I think has got a whole lot of merit to it. It's a a voter pop-up to encourage voters. Uh, Kojo Dempty is the manager of programs for the Hamilton Center for Civic Inclusion, and uh, he joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Kojo, great to have you here. Thanks for coming in today. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, I've talked about this for the longest time. Municipal elections, provincial elections, federal elections, uh, the the voter turnout is not what it should be, especially, it's got to be embarrassing when you hear about other communities and other jurisdictions where they have 75, 85, 90 percent voter turnout. We, we seem to be stuck around 60 or 65 for federal elections, and we can do better, can't we? Yes, we can. So um, just to illuminate uh, the turnout in Hamilton Center, we had 60%, Hamilton Mountain, 65%, the Hamilton West, Ancaster Dandas, 74%, Glanbrook and Flamborough, 70%, Hamilton East, Stony Creek, 62%. So giving us an average of uh, 66%, and the average for the whole of Ontario, um, was 67%. So this was from the 2015 federal election. So yes, I think we can definitely uh, do better. Um, I think must, most 
of the uh, credit goes to the Samara Center for Democracy and Elections Canada and the Democratic Exchange at Ryerson. So the vote pop-up was developed by the Samara Center for Democracy, um, and they did it in partnership with Elections Canada. And they ran, a, they ran, they did actually run a couple of vote pop-ups during the 2015 uh, federal election. So now it's it's being scaled up and it's being run across the country um, by the Democratic Exchange at Ryerson University. Do you think those numbers, and they're a little better than they have been in past years from the 2015 election, did the pop-ups help, do you think? I, I I think it did. I think it did. And and this time around, what, what the Democratic Exchange is doing is it's is partnering with groups in community so that the groups within the community can do more of the outreach. So I know uh, this week they were in Sudbury and they did the partnership with the YWCA in Sudbury. Um, And then yesterday they were in Waterloo as well. So next week they're going to be here in Hamilton and we did the partnership. So we've contacted uh, lots of organizations that also have relationships with people in the community, yeah. right? So we're talking about the Hamilton Roundtable for Poverty Reduction, Sasha, YWCA, ACON, Hamilton, McMaster Community Engagement, Environment Hamilton, the Campaign for Adequate Welfare and Disability Benefits, the Hamilton Legal Clinic, the Hamilton Trans Health Coalition, right? So we we have working relationships with all those organizations. So we are asking them to either send a representative there or send uh, f- uh, residents that they've worked with in the past uh, to the training session so that when they come there, they can learn about it. And then when they go to their respective organizations or they are in their own community, they can also hold the vote pop-ups. This is, I, I like the way you've set this up, though, because by reaching out to those community groups that are already here uh, in s- certain neighborhoods and in groups, uh, you don't need to or establish a relationship with with the, the, the population with those because that's already there. Exactly. They've, they've already com- developed those lines of communication. Exactly. So that's the whole uh, uh, model of uh, train the trainer, right? So you come in, we train everybody, we've, de- we've democratized the, the information, so everyone has the information. It's not stuck with the Hamilton Center for Civic Inclusion or any, any other uh, community organization. So we just share the wealth, they go into their community and they know how to relate. So whether they are using their own language, different languages or different uh, strategies in order to engage people and let them know about the upcoming uh, upcoming federal election. Why don't people vote? The ones that have been approached already. I know this is going to happen in Hamilton next week, so we'll, we'll get some clear answers about this community. I think a lot of people, Kojo, just put it down and say, ah, oh, they just don't care. It's apathy. But there's, there, can, there are other reasons, I would think. Yes, there are other reasons. I think uh, uh, some of them are barriers as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if uh, I know that the Samara Center for Democracy has talked about, you know, uh, one one option was if we were going to have uh, an election on a Monday, why not just have that day as a holiday so that people can go can vote? Even though we have advanced voting, there are people that might still want to vote on voting day, but if they have to work, that might limit it. Uh, some also use public transit. Public transit is not 
the the most convenient way to get around um and then also when we're when we're talking about people that have uh that live with disabilities as well we don't ha- we don't include them in the discussion about voting so they might also have barriers that we haven't thought about right um are the polling stations accessible right are they wide enough to ensure that their uh, mobility devices would be able to fit into the polling stations right so i think they are they are married of things that uh, prevent uh, folks from voting so then this vote this vote pop up is 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 supposed to uh, uh, bring residents in, and then we can have that discussion. It's not just about you know uh, what does the p- what information will be available at the polling booth or what ID do you need. Um, even though we talk about that, we ask participants like what are the issues that you think aren't discussed during the federal elections, or why don't you vote, or what would make what would make it easier for you to vote? So we go through we go through all those discussions in the in the session. So I think that uh, uh, um, the the reasons for folks not voting is 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 a whole gamut. And and as you say, there can be language barriers. There can be a number of different things that are that are involved in this. And you'll address all those. What's interesting though, from the reading I was doing on this though, Kojo. Is, is you you also talk about what you think their priorities or what they think their priorities are going to be. In other words, why would you vote? What are the issues that matter to you? Exactly. So you kind of give them a primer and get that conversation going, don't you? Yes. So then, you know... And, you, but this is apolitical. Yes, it is. Exactly. So uh, when when uh, when folks come in, we, we, are, we are not... We, we don't talk about any political <laughs> platform or anything like that. We just ask the participants uh what what are the issues that uh uh most are most are most pertinent for you right and then we just have that on the board folks discuss it and that's it we don't uh, but you, you don't go down that partisan road uh, no, no 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 oh, no it's no, employment no. to you but you have, have you looked at this party's no platform? no there. no we don't know that is that is definitely out out of bounds uh but i think by by doing that it also animates people in terms of why their voice should matter because usually what happens is that uh, uh, residents don't have an outlet to share what they are concerned yeah. about and I also think the good thing that Sam- uh, Samara Center for Democracy and Elections Canada is doing too is that by by doing this you're also priming residents so that if it happens that in September or October they go to candidate debates they can also ask questions mm-hmm. that are related to them right so i think that's also uh, um, uh, a thing that has been missing in the past well if you want to get people to be inclusive and, and to be a part of the process you have to make them feel like they are part of the process exactly you know if you disengage and you, you figure well you know what i stopped voting years ago because it doesn't really make a difference and i'm only one person it's going to be pretty hard to bring those people back but if you reintroduce them to the process uh, and get them involved in the dialogue and, 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 you know, give them a comfort level, I guess, about what they can do and, and, and how the system can work for them, too. That, that makes it a lot more amenable, I would think. Yes. And then even let's, let's take a look at young people, right? So if uh, you weren't 18 in the last election, that was uh, 2015. Yes, we've had a provincial and a municipal election, but there aren't programs that, f- that, that uh, are focused to let young people, young people know what is the process, what do you need, 
Um, how how does the the voting booth look like? What is the polling station? Where are they going to be? And then also. I think one thing that the Elections Canada is trying to do too is also not um, also try and have a relationship with residents, right? Because usually we would think, oh, election, Elections Canada is a bureaucratic entity that's in Gatineau or Ottawa and we never get to see them. So literally, um, residents can request meetings with their chief returning officers, right? Like we want to give everyone that information so that uh, they know that they can call their chief rece- uh, returning officer, ask for them about where the polling stations are going to be, if it's going to be accessible, what time it open. right? Like, yeah. that's the whole process of being involved in in what we call democracy or our political process. Well, and the Elections Canada can certainly learn from this process as well. I mean, you and I were talking just before we started the segment. I mean, it wasn't too many years ago when they'd say, okay, we're going to put an ad in the paper and a couple of radio commercials and uh, and people will know what to do. Well, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily reach everybody by doing that. You've, you've got to go out and get them. I mean, and this is... This is taking it to the next level. This isn't just saying, oh, it's on that bulletin board over there. If you ever seem to pass by, you might want to read it. Yeah. Now you're going right into the neighborhoods mm-hmm. and, and saying, well, look, at, we're, we're going to just we're going to be right in front of you here doing this so you're going to you can learn about this i mean they can still decide to, to vote or not to vote we will hope that the answer is going to be yes but the more informed they're going to be the more comfortable they're going to be yes exactly and and yeah i think um at this at this point in time where uh where um there's lots of stuff happening in the in the community it's really important to ensure that we're we're practicing these um, values and principles around community engagement, community building, and and building trust as well. So I think uh, uh, the voting process or the the campaign process in terms of what can organizations do, it allows us to also connect with residents and um, and build relationships. So I think other than deciding who the next MP or prime minister would be, the uh, some of the side benefits are that it's also uh, a, a trust building uh, a process that allows our community to become stronger and better and and work together. And, and the ultimate goal, obviously, is to increase the number of people that vote. I mean, those numbers that you just mentioned here, the average of about 66%, uh, better than it's been in some past years. But, I mean, we, you know, we, we'd still rather be at least 10 or 15 points higher than that. I, get there's, there's, it's, I know that's that's something to aspire to in situations like this, but this they've got to be building blocks to get to that point. You just can't wish that it's going to get better. Yes, uh, yeah, we can. And uh, that's why at the Hamilton Center for Civic Inclusion, we decided to partner with the Democratic Exchange at Ryerson to do this. Um, we have other events that will be uh, that will be uh, coming up in the com- in the couple of uh, months uh, to also galvanize uh, residents to ensure that uh, they they go out and vote or they have other conversations with their neighbors and their friends. Because this can't be a one-time thing. No, 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 definitely. So we do have other events, um, other events scheduled. So on August the eighth. We are partnering with Operation Black Vote, uh, so they are going to come in to talk to black youth uh, in Hamilton. So that's that's one event, and then uh, September the 16th, we'll also have another another event uh, at at our office in terms of bringing people in to 
talk about some of the issues that they are concerned about and how they're going to encourage their friends and families and neighbors to to vote in the upcoming election. So we definitely have uh, other events, and this is not a one-off uh, event that we're going to have. I, I'm impressed with the uh, the inclusivity of this whole thing and the number of uh, partners you brought on. Because uh, t- obviously it's going to take a coordinated effort by all the people you've just talked about here uh, to try to get these results. And and as you say, it looked as if it did have a positive result in 2015 in the communities in which it was placed in then. Uh, you'd like to think that this sort of thing is going to be going on in every city uh, in, as in subsequent elections. Uh, but this is going to be a pretty good bellwether here in the Hamilton area to see just how effective this is uh, because of some of the challenges and some of the, especially in some of the the inner city neighborhoods, the downtown neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those challenges exist in every neighborhood, don't they? Yes, they exist in in every neighborhood, uh, and I think that's why it's important to have partnerships across the city. Because every organization, wherever they are located or whatever work they're doing, they know uh, their respective uh, neighborhood and street and who to talk to. So by by engaging organizations, uh, that's that's how we make that connection, and that's how the word can get out, and uh, and uh, and we build a more more inclusive democracy, one that is uh, responsive to to the residents uh, of uh, Hamilton. So this is coming up in, in just a couple of days here. Where can they get information? Is there a web page they can go to to get some more details about this? Yeah, so they can go to hcci.ca. Okay. Uh, all the information is there. We have two sessions. So we have one in the afternoon from 11.30 to 2 p.m. for those that have to work and might be able to uh, squeeze away lunch hour. Um, <laughs> and then for those that can't make it because they are working, we have an evening session from 6 to 8, all at the library, the Hamilton Library yeah, Central. Downtown. Yes. Yeah. And then the library, too, I would like to uh, give them a big thanks for hosting us. And then uh, they are also going to ensure that they have uh, these vote pop-ups at different locations in uh, across the across the city. Kojo, I hope it works. I hope it's successful. We'll find out, I guess, on election day for sure. But, uh, <laughs> yes. I hope the first of many. Thanks for coming in today. Thank you for the invitation. Kojo Dampty, of course, uh, from uh, the Hamilton Center for Civic Inclusion. Just go to their webpage if you want to get some more details. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.